0: this industry is too taxing to have anything but unwavering belief in terms of the potential of you and your partners to create the type of business um, that you dream about.
1: Welcome to Managing Marketing, a podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. My name is David Angel. And today I'm joined by Steve O'Farrell, um, founder and managing partner of The Royals, um, which I think is fair to say, um, Steve, I think this your agency ranks as probably one of the most successful independent agencies in Australia, certainly in Melbourne, uh, over the last, what, more than 10 years now. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to have you on. Welcome, Steve. Thanks, and it's great to be talking with you.
0: Nice of you to say so. Good to see you again, David.
1: Um, let's let's kick off with um, uh, a discussion about branding, but not actually client branding. We spend a lot of time talking about our clients and, and brand strategy for our clients, but I want to talk about agency branding. Um, as an independent agency, you, you, you're the owner. You're aren't, you aren't encumbered by some global parent sort of imposing a brand on you, which I guess is both liberating, um, but also maybe challenging because it means you've got to come up with it yourself. Um, when you started the agency, The Royals were the most interested agency in the world, which I thought became quite established. And then I think it was about two years—correct me if I'm wrong—about two years ago now, you pivoted to being the agency that creates unnatural change to propel brands and culture forward. Um, I'm interested in that. Talk talk to me about the thinking behind the current proposition and why you decided to make the change.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of things there. Um, First of all, I'm not the owner. I'm one of. Um, four owners which which I makes just, it even, I look at you as the guy which what makes can it even I tell more you? challenging which <laughs> makes it even more, more challenging David but um, yes, but you can imagine when we started the business back in 2010, 2011 um, getting four longtime uh, agency partners together in a in a room trying to figure out exactly what they wanted to own in the marketplace and particularly in a marketplace like ours which is so shouty trying to come up with something genuinely distinctive is really, really difficult. So we spend a stack of time on it. And and the only other point I'd make, and I can elaborate on this further is that we didn't so much pivot from most interested agency to an agency that's all about creating unnatural change. It was, it was more a shift in terms of, of emphasis. Um, And let me break that down a little bit for you. So, so when we first started and we absolutely, Still live by the ethos of wanting to be the most interested agency in the world, um, and the thinking behind that is that it's an inherently humble starting point. Um, mm. Our industry is one of the few industries, other than music, where you actually get paid to listen, and and the idea is that you know the more interested you are, the more interesting and ultimately effective the work that you produce should be. Um, but we discovered after talking about that as the focus that, um, we probably also at the same time needed to talk about what was in it for the clients. Uh, and a natural change therefore came about based on the idea that we take what is expected of brands. Um, and we work with ambitious clients to exceed those expectations. Mm -hmm. Now we use creativity, to do that, we use data related insights um, and a solid understanding of marketing science, but really it's still all very much driven by this most interested philosophy, this kind of organizational perspective that we come to work with every day and still imbues everything from our employee value proposition to how we go about building relationships with clients and at the day is ultimately focused on delivering that unnatural change By way of benefit to clients and culture and brands.
1: I was going to ask you about your people. You sort of mentioned them just there, but of course, your people need to buy into that that positioning and that brand and that ethos. Um, how much did you yeah. talk to them through that process? And, and how much? I mean, have they got a mouse mat with well, it written on? Is well, it? Well, there wasn't.
0: There wasn't that many of them. Like when we came up with most interested, I think yeah. there was probably five of us anyway. Us and, yeah. and one employee. But but the employee value proposition that we talk about a lot um, that builds from from the most interested ethos is that we'll cultivate your curiosity. Um, and that really resonates with people. And, Mm. and that is something that's ingrained in our hiring process through our DNI and inclusion program, um, through things like our agency adventure, once a year getaway that we're doing at South by Southwest this year in Sydney. For the first time, we traditionally send a lot of people to get interested in what's going on in Austin, but this year, it's going to be in Sydney, which is awesome. Um, yeah. So it, it's it's definitely something that is properly ingrained in our employee value proposition. Um, it's represented through our values and something that we we talk about constantly and continue to be known for, um, which is which is fantastic.
1: I th- I, it's so important. Um, it seems obvious, but certainly in agencies, and I know having worked in agencies myself, um, you can tell when. A proposition or, or a positioning of an agency is just written on bits of paper and not really followed through or, or lived and breathed um, by the people in that agency and in consultancy land i can tell it in pitches all the time you just see you see it coming through in the way people present themselves uh, and their and, and their enthusiasm and their conviction um and i think it's a really important factor not just of day-to-day but of, of winning new business as well to to um make that thing, make, make it real in a, in a world full of agencies all saying that they're the unicorn agency for you, you know, you the client. Um, making yeah. that proposition live and breathe and, and be real is just massively important.
0: Yeah, it, it's super important and it starts with employees and the way that we recruit people. Um, I try as much as possible to find out what people are interested in outside of our industry because I think that's where you get parallels to make what we do every day um that much better so Mm. we spend a lot of time from a recruitment point of view talking about it we spend a lot of time being proactive with our clients in trying to highlight opportunities um, that we haven't necessarily been briefed on trying to focus on what's happening next by way of most interested opportunities is what we we talk about a lot and then one thing we proud ourselves on regardless of whether we win or lose is um i can almost guarantee that uh one key outcome from every pitch we go through is that clients will say that you, you've certainly lent well and truly in and, and listened and worked hard to learn about drivers in our category learn about drivers for our customer base learn about competitive sets the influence of technology all of the things that we should be fait okay with in order to make the most interesting and ultimately compelling solutions that deliver yeah. Against the required business objectives is what most interested is all intended to achieve. Um, ultimately, it should be about that unnatural change, which is so hard to deliver. But it all starts with our, our most interested ethos. That's for sure.
1: Trinity P3. Let's talk a bit about unnatural change anyway. In a broader context, you, you obviously uh, having your people live and breathe what the agency is about is important. It's also important to motivate them. And motivation, in the last two or three years. We've been living in a period of unnatural change. Um, COVID, I mean, we've talked COVID to death, um, but I am interested post COVID now um, about the motivation of of your people and your clients and the dynamics that you've seen shift um, following this pandemic um, between your people, the way they're operating and the way they're operating with clients and the clients as well, of course.
0: Yeah, it's been really, it has been a really interesting period of unnatural change, that's for sure. And one that we're not necessarily better for yet, um, but one that certainly helped us shape and improve the way that we work. Um, because, look, remote work is is good for a lot of things, but what it's not great for um, is collaboration, building relationships or creativity. What's, let's be honest, Is pretty fundamental to the success of, um, our business, our industry, and our relationship with clients. Mm. So we spent a lot of time working on that through the pandemic and now really delighted to say that in our experience, uh, I've never seen clients be so keen to get together um, as now and, and work through those those opportunities in real time. And most importantly, also be willing to have those really difficult conversations, which we need to have if we're going to ultimately kind of deliver the unnatural change that is, is our end objective mm. as well. I think one observation I'd, I would make as it relates to kind of the post-COVID environment is while current clients um, are leading into the importance of meeting in person to work through them their most challenging problems, I still do see too much, you know, still to see too many chemistry meetings happening virtually in a new business context or worse still, pitch meetings happening over Zoom um, or over Teams, which personally, maybe it's just my personality type, but I just don't know how you can make a really informed decision on an advertising agency partner for the long term based on predominantly interacting with that partner in the virtual world. Um, So that's one thing that I would love to change and I'd encourage any client looking to pitch their business to to make sure that they address as part of the process. Because as tempting as it is for efficiencies reasons, um, like most things, that efficiency isn't realised in terms of the quality of relationship or them being able to make an informed decision on the back end of the process, unless you are sitting in a room in real life, working through those challenges together. So that's Uh, one thing that I I, I still would love to see some improvement on on the back end of COVID is how we engage from a new business perspective. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. I I agree. I mean, I, I'm I have to be slightly. I've got to be objective here. We we have um, during COVID conducted some pitches that were that had to be um, online, and there was a period where there was an uncertainty, just sort of coming out the back end. Are we in lockdown? Are we not going to be in lockdown? And that that also dictated. But I I mean, having run a lot of these things, I certainly agree that in there's no substitute, um, and we're starting to see that now. It's, some of what you just said about the novelty of wearing from work, working from home wearing off a bit, uh, and people realizing they have to come back. Um, I'm seeing that too, um, and certainly I, I'd never be recommending that a client does does a pitch online anymore. There's absolutely there's no need for it. There's just no need for it. Um, I think with some organisations you can tell it's it's you can tell uh, the level of the relationship they want with an agency by an insistence on running a pitch virtually. You can tell the value that they place on relationship and that is a, that is a marker for any agency who wants to compete in the pitch and, you know, yeah, it I might not so. be the right organisation for you, right, with all due respect to both parties.
0: I, I think so. so. So when it comes to kind of key strategic decision-making processes where there's high stakes involved, large investments and a certain degree of risk, we talk about the need to take calculated risks a lot um, and and the best way to do that is to work through problems in detail in depth um in in real life as, as often and as deeply yeah. as possible so that's certainly our default that's not to say that that virtual doesn't have a won't continue to have a role for perhaps some ongoing bau type activity but certainly for those higher stakes pitches and strategic planning processes that we do so so much of it's all happening in real life, which is great.
1: And have you seen any? I mean, aside from the uh, the actual practices of working, have you seen uh, any change in thinking, strategically speaking, creatively speaking, courage and bravery with regard to advertising uh, and marketing? I mean, clearly, you, you it's. Uh, I'm guess it's varied, but
0: yeah, I, I think the the bravest clients are probably being rewarded rewarded for it now. Like I was, we're having a little chat, brief chat off there um, earlier about clients that, that paid attention to the science um, and continued to invest through the COVID period. I think there was some really interesting lessons to be learned in that regard. Um, I remember reading recently, I think it was MI3 where Suzuki spent 80% less and generated 30% of sales because they were very fortunate from a category perspective, they could do that. Mm. Mondelez was another example that did very well off the back of investing through COVID when everyone else was down. Other categories, you know, dare I say it, food delivery, and we got caught up a bit in this with Deliveroo, um, didn't continue to invest and as a result probably got overtaken by the likes of of Menulog um, and Uber Eats as a result. So mm. I think that that once again, science has proven to be Largely correct in that regard, and I think there's probably been some tough lessons that have been learned, and people are playing catch up as a result.
1: So you're actually saying that marketing
0: works? Is, it, is that a quote? Y- yeah. Well, <laughs> it's, that dare I say that science is based on true facts. Well, yes, um, indeed, true and, and facts, and David, Years which, and years of, of which uh, we try and robust analysis. Yeah. Yes, which we try and spend a lot of you know, attention, paying attention to, as I said to start. So it's nice to see some of some of those those truths playing out as well, um, yeah. for better or worse.
1: Indeed. Trinity P3. Well, we touched a couple of, uh, on, and a couple of points there um, with regard to your own agency and also with regard to pitching and how agencies and clients are interacting, um, a bit about cultural dynamics. And, you know, within the agency industry, sort of broadening out a bit from the Royals and thinking about the industry, um, like many industries, I think the agency – category for one of a better term often it's in its own bubble in terms of what we all think is important and it has its own culture you know some some elements of that are changing some have remained constant for, for decades um what's your what's your perspective how would you describe the culture of the industry today and what are the main drivers of it and how healthy do you think agency culture is right now
0: yeah gosh having done this for coming on 25 years i think um Far longer than I care to remember, to be honest, though it has been an amazing ride. Um, there's been some extraordinary changes. I th- I think the, you know, talk about the the cold realities of the opportunity and challenges that the internet has presented um, to the industry have, no- and knowing also that the core driver of the industry that is creativity um, for competitive advantage in business fundamentally hasn't changed mm-hmm. since the advent of the, the industry, what is it, 80 odd years ago, um, but perhaps the, the way and what constitutes healthy agencies within that industry certainly has, I think. Um, the other observation I'd make is that there aren't, I don't think, the creative renegades in our industry that perhaps there once was, if I'm really honest either. Mm. Maybe as a result of the internet, they've become kind of present day thought leaders. Um, And you see that bearing out in um, everyone from influencers online pushing other people's brands to um, brand owners like Liquid Death who out of the States started by, I think it was a bunch of Crispin Porter creatives. And there is no way that that would have been possible going back to the days of Mad Men in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, So... Whether or not our industry is better off for that, I, I guess, is is the question. Then to your point about you know, what constitutes or how healthy is the industry, I think what's required to be healthy in the industry is, has definitely changed. Um, in order to be a commercial partner of value, you have to be working with marketing very closely to push marketing up closer to you know the revenue line. And your agency partner has to be walking side by side with those marketing clients in order to be able to to do that in ways that extend well beyond just advertising, right? So Mm. taking ourselves as an example, the work that we do, starting with, you know, really rigorous strategic planning processes, certainly with our our more established clients, um, the work that we do is so varied beyond just the advertising that we once used to be responsible for. And that keeps me well and truly invested in the business and also makes us much more significant commercial partners as a result as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Examples of that could be product innovation strategies with the likes of Spotify, which we did for their student premium store, um, a couple of years ago could be rewards and recognition programs for large superannuation clients, Um, could be coming up with, um, programs in partnership with universities, which, um, we're heavily involved with from We've an indu- in industry past, en- yeah. industry endorsement perspective. Um, and all of those things allow us to add a stack of commercial value that makes us hopefully um, that, that much cl- more closely attached to the client as a result, um, but also helps provide a stack more value for marketing within organisations as well. Um, the only other thing that the only other observation I'd make is that the health of the industry um, has a has or is is still so dependent on getting the right talent in the door to start with and i think universities have done a pretty average job of doing that as a general rule um, we were involved in in developing uh the advanced marketing practice course at melbourne university several years ago now that was an attempt to get uh university educators more closely aligned with the needs of industry and that's been a a Success um, from Melbourne University's fa- standpoint, which is fantastic. But, you know, Mark Ritson has done what he's done with the marketing MBA for good reason because he felt like there was a massive gap in the marketplace. Um, Julian Cole is someone similar. And they are killing it, those guys, as a result of the need that exists to have evidence based marketers um, who understand the fundamentals of it all which ultimately still wasn't being taught all that well by universities and also being taught in appropriate context with um, the demands and influence of technology as well to to produce far more capable um, uh, evidence-based marketers at the end of the day and for that matter agency people as well so i think creatively we're still about using creative creativity for competitive advantage it's all about Adding value well above and beyond comms and then making sure that we've got a solid pipeline of talent coming through to make sure that the growth and the health of the industry continues for the longer term.
1: Yeah, focusing on the agency side, I mean, you talked a lot about marketers there, but also you just mentioned that agency at the end. What was running through my head as you were talking about the need to add value in basically different ways, that requires more diverse brainpower. That That requires different people with different skills. We are currently in an environment where churn is is a big issue in agencies, particularly. Um,
0: how attractive is the agency industry right now? It is in most agencies, David. Uh, I think we're okay. We're doing, yeah, talk to doing, me about doing, your churn. we're doing yeah, pretty well. Uh, we're doing enough. pretty
1: well. I mean, I, I'm,
0: I'm really, talking industry
1: wide here, right? Yeah, but that's it,
0: okay. I I think you're right. It, not only within agencies, but also with marketers. I think the average CMO tenure is what? A couple of years. 18 months. 18 months, um, 18 months. and, and that provides an opportunity for agencies who can hang on to their staff, and and this is us included, where we've seen clients go through four, five, and six reorganizations um, over our tenure with them. And and again, if you can do a good job in creating the type of culture that people want to be a part of, um, that uses creativity and reward and diversity and inclusion in the right ways, then. Ultimately, you'll be rewarded for it. Um, In our case, you know, gratuitous plug, probably the most awarded, I think, um, agency in Australia over the last 10 years for people and culture, which is borne out in the tenure of our people. Um, And I think that only bodes well for clients, particularly in this high-churn environment where you're looking to maintain IP at every possible opportunity Mm. um, as, you know, the inevitable churn does happen, as you mentioned.
1: Well, gratuitous plug aside, <laughs> we, are, we are still talking about the industry as a whole. And look, I, I do want to um, pick up on DEI because I lots of noise in the industry, all, all positive noise in the industry about DEI At industry level, how much do you think that has translated into action? How far have we got to go to make this a truly inclusive and diverse uh, organi- industry in which to work?
0: Yeah, it, it has got so, so far to go. I think yeah. it's fair to say, and, and and even just on a really superficial level, seeing access to international talent dry up is is one, you know, really superficial, I guess, representation of that. Um, but look, you don't, where we're based in Cremorne, you don't have to go, you go for a walk. If a, I often say if a bomb right. went off and come on, you'd kill 80% of the advertising, yeah, that's right. advertising be, population right there. It's what St awesome
1: Kilda Road and, used to be like 20 years the ago. La- right?
0: The lack of diversity is is so apparent. Um, yeah. Look, we, we're all trying really, really hard um, to to do the right thing for the benefit of our businesses um, and for the benefit of our clients as well. But it's, it's really difficult um, and that's because I think the industry continues to have a a bit of a reputation problem um, which is slowly being worked on Um, it's also a consequence of the the environments that we work in um, and the nature of the skill sets that require and it starts at that education level that I mentioned to start with Mm. that we need More diverse groups of people to be able to tap in the first place for us to be able to make the most of that opportunity. But it is that diversity of thought that's going to be so important, ultimately, to generate that unnatural change. And we've made some pretty good inroads on those D and I measures over the course of the last several years. But uh, hell bent on continuing to improve because there is still a long way to go in the future.
1: Which is obviously great to hear. I mean, I guess the other the other uh, marker on this move, you know, aside from, um, diversity and, and inclusion is work-life balance, um, agencies have never been well known for promoting great work-life balance. Um, there's been long hours done in the past, probably in the present as well. Um, how, how is that, where is that moving to? I mean, I think COVID has done quite a bit to, uh, to readdress work-life balance in general. Yeah, um, I think,
0: I think you're right. I mean. One of the one of the interesting things about our business is one of my business partners and I, Andrew Sifka, have had <clears throat> I think it's six kids between us in eleven years that the business has been going. So that's been a bit of a trial by fire in terms of making sure that our working environment was sustainable for people with families, mm. and and COVID has probably compounded that even further, particularly through the challenges that we had. For those of us who had young kids at home that we're trying to give an education to while also contributing to our respective businesses as well um look standard kind of flexible working hours and and all those things obviously apply um there's there's benefits that we have in terms of you know paternity and maternity leave which uh, you know again is a again for all the right reasons um is is something that we're really mindful of as an organization to make sure that that's as sustainable as possible um, and then it's our hiring practices as well mm-hmm. so that we're being as objective as possible but hiring for the right reasons um, and the right people where those opportunities exist to to address some of those objectives that we do have from a a, a, a dni um, and and workplace point of view so all those factors i hope are coming together to make sure that the work environment that we do have is as sustainable and as flexible as possible ultimately with a view to having happier employees that produce better at the work at the end of the day as well
1: yeah and if your churn rate is ahead of the curve then that that talks to the success you're having i guess um, which is which is great
0: yeah look if our long service leave balances any any indication then we are <laughs> we're it pretty well so, there so speaks a man with it. his eye on the spreadsheet. Yeah, okay, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, not, not Take all your long on service leave, please, take it, take so it. I'm actually going to do that in a couple of months, David. Oh, good so on I'm looking you. forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to How it. How long? A couple of months with the kids overseas before one of them goes to high school, so looking forward to it, Uh June Well,
1: we're going way off piece, but congratulations on that. Thanks. That's, thanks, that's fantastic. Thanks. And let's look, with that. I mean, that is a bit of a segue because you have been doing this, and I'm talking about... Since making the leap into your own shop, right, to running your own shop, albeit with three other owners, you, you, you survived in in quotes a, a good long while, and I don't mean I don't you know you're smiling, but I don't I don't <coughs> mean that lightly because, you know, by industry standards, you, you've been around. This agency has been around and grown for a long, long time. Um, you must have learned a massive amount since what was it, 2010, 2011, when you when you were founded. Um, what would you say now? And I mean, you, you, your answer. You mean might to my be, to my 2010 to, two thousand and ten self? To your two thousand and ten self, your answer might be, "Don't do it." But hey, what would you what would you say now to your two thousand and ten self?
0: My honest response to that would be, "Do it earlier." Yeah, because okay. I I quit my job, my previous job, um, bought a house, started a business, and had a family all in the space of six months, which was <laughs> which was pretty good. Um, incentive I guess not to stuff it up but if I'd started five years earlier then uh, I think we would have gotten off to potentially to an even stronger start maybe I wouldn't have known as much maybe I wouldn't quite have been as incentivized as much I'm not sure Um, but I really I genuinely do wish that that I'd started earlier if for no other reason than to learn from the mistakes earlier that (laughs) we inevitably took in those first few years I'm, I'm um, guessing.
1: I'm guessing that your own work-life balance wasn't great <laughs> in 2010, based on what you just said. You had to work on yourself before you worked on your people. Right?
0: Yeah, and then we had two more kids. We had twins shortly after that, so uh, it was compounded even further. And that's before you get to Andrew, um, my business partner in Melbourne at the time. So, yeah. so yeah, I I think start earlier because because it it's it is a challenging um, and very taxing industry. It's, I, I'm not sure we would have had as healthy a start based on the existing relationships if that, that we did have being kind of in our more sort of formative, formative years. But mm. um, I, I had been thinking about it for a long while and it took me a while with my business partners to jump. And honestly, the only regret I now have is that, uh, is that we didn't do it five or even seven or eight years earlier. Um, and I'd hope we would have had similar results. Um, I may also, you know, have been in the position where I could be taking some long service leave a bit younger in life. I'm not sure, but <laughs> I'm, ultimately, I'm super, I'm super delighted with where it's all worked out. And now as we transition into our almost fifties, looking forward, what the future holds as well.
1: Well, you're still a young man. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> mm. Trinity P3. Be my mentor for a minute then. I mean, if I, uh, you know, I'm starting my own agency tomorrow, I'm, I'm not by the way, but if I was, what would you, t- what would your advice be? What would your bur- you, your, the burning platform advice you'd give me?
0: A bit like when you ask that question of, I don't know, if you ask that question of Mark Ritson and he talks about marketing fundamentals, I think the agency fundamentals um, would be that you've got to take care of the people and take care of the work as being the most significant challenges that you'll face with, with unwavering optimism. I think you need to establish the business right from the get go with a view to who you want to be in the future. Mm. um, Not who you might be at the start. Let me give you a couple of examples of that. Um, We've been super rigorous on how we manage our finances. Um, The systems that we use. Uh, the timesheeting and estimating processes that we run so that our financials are absolutely watertight and we're running it like a, a, we've run the financials the same way from day one regardless of whether we've been three four people sitting around a table hoping for the phone to ring when we first started all the way up to when you know we peaked a year or two ago at, at 70 odd um, staff so manage those fundamentals and um, through a lens of the agency that you want to be as opposed to the agency that you are to begin with um, that also extends to things like the space that we moved into yeah. you know we we moved into a thousand square meter space in cremorne as additional incentive to fill it um, and we were fantastically rewarded through that process as we grew um, i think the tenacity and trusting and firmly believing that things are going to work out having that belief as much belief as I do now to start with would have been really beneficial as well because this industry is too taxing full of those peaks and troughs to have anything but unwavering belief in terms of the potential of you and your partners to create the type of business um, that you dream about. And I think that's probably the single most fundamental thing that's got us here in addition to some hard work and some, unwavering belief is that resilience and talent along the way as well um, so a fairly kind of rambled I guess answer to your question but they'd be the they'd be the factors that that I'd think about if I was starting this business today I,
1: I think that's really good advice honestly um, there may be people listening to this who are thinking about you know putting their own name above a door and um, I think your your comments about unwavering optimism possibly the hardest thing to maintain um, uh, you, you can be optimistic about what you do and what and the industry, but wow, it's hard to build something up from scratch. And and um, I think that's a hugely important quality. Um,
0: yeah, and and make sure you you're, you're very tapped into um, what you need to sustain yourself as well, um, because you'll get challenged in ways that you just never anticipate. And mm. you know, I have now got in ways that didn't exist before we started the Royals. I've now got a, a full kind of quiver of, <laughs> of resetting strategies that I know I'm dependent on um, for us to be as sustainable um, as possible for the long term. So mm. tap into those really, really early on would be my advice as well in order to set yourself up for that, for that long, um, challenging time ahead.
1: And, well, let's talk about the future. Let's talk about um, the long challenge in time ahead because it's it's always going to be challenging. What what are the big plays for you? What excites you about the next few years, both for your own agency and, and for the industry in general?
0: That's a really good question. I, w- I was really surprised and delighted at the start of this week when um, the, the Global Campaign Agency of the Year Awards were announced and I was reflecting on when we first started, as an agency back in 2010, 2011, there's absolutely no way that um, the independent agencies that existed today were, or that the quality of the independent agency offerings were anything like they are today. Um, and the fact that in the in the Global Agency of the Year Awards this week, that three independent agencies were listed at the top, Australian agencies at that, I think is, is kind of unprecedented. Um, mm-hmm. And that's hugely motivating for us as being one of those three agencies, along with Howie and ThinkAvelle, um, that gives us something to shoot after. Like we, we love a good, a good contest. Um, I think that's fantastic for the industry here. And I think it's fantastic for the industry um, or for the Australian advertising industry on the global stage as well. So I, I hope that that continues. I also think it's fantastic for us in terms of recruiting most interested people into our business as well um because you know they're the sorts of i I can't think of too many other professional services um in australia that that operate at that level on the global stage um so that's got to be a a great thing for us um our clients and and for our people as well
1: yeah i agree i mean we talked earlier about um challenges with international talent coming back into australia And, and with awards in general i do think there's too much focus on Awards as a tool for new business, and not enough as a, on, on awards as a motivational factor to, for the best people to join to join your agency. That's a huge thing. I,
0: th- I think that's the most important thing. To be honest, um, yeah. I don't know too many clients who who buy agencies purely because of their award portfolio. But I sure as heck know a, a, a lot of prospective agency employees who use award lists as key reasons to and culture, mm. obviously, to to um choose to go with a selected agency so that's that's exactly why we do it
1: well here's to more awards in the future and the success thank, of the, you, in thank the future. thank you thank you thank you you've, you've managed we really to get, appreciate it there's
0: at least three gratuitous plugs in there <laughs> i'll let i'll let was you it have it really? because oh man i mean Jeez, i was you, shooting you, for i was shooting for 10
1: you deserve it um it's been it's been great to talk to you and uh you know all, all the best for uh the next well however many years but also your long service leave that's going to be fantastic so all the best for that too
0: thank you it's eight weeks it's not that long but i am looking forward to it i can't even talk about it without smiling as you say now (laughs) (laughs) okay thanks again thanks so much mate